0: I get to looking at them and decide, well, this would be a better Sunday morning lesson or this would be a better Sunday night lesson. So I decided to split my lesson. This is actually the lesson I planned for this evening. But answering the call. Answering the call. What call are we answering? How are we answering it? How's the call made? I remember a few years ago, I remember who said it. uh, Brother David Meeks was preaching a sermon and I remember him saying that Someone had asked him at one point, well when did you get the call to preach? And he told them the exact date of his baptism. When I became a Christian that's what he said. That's when I was called to preach the gospel. And in a way that's exactly what we're supposed to do and tonight's lesson is going to get into evangelism and how we are to win souls for Christ. But Today I want us to talk about how we answer the call of discipleship, how we become followers of Christ, um, how does the call come, all those things that I hope to answer in our lesson for this morning as we talk about answering the call. If you have not obeyed the gospel, know that you are being called to discipleship. The question is, will you answer that call? I want us to first look, and for those of you that are visiting, in all of our bulletins we put sermon notes. That's something that I started when I came here. Um, I actually did it before that, where I was before. Um, but we have sermon notes, and you can follow along with the sermon notes, and they go along with each of our lessons. And so if you want to pull out a bulletin in the sermon notes, uh, certainly you're welcome to follow follow along with us. Our first point is how we are called. How we are called to discipleship. I want us to begin by looking at Jesus. We have to understand that Jesus came with a purpose. He came with a specific purpose when He came to this earth. We talked about that some in our Bible class this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and we'll look beginning at verse 9. Matthew 9 and verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Uh, This is one of the apostles. Obviously, we're very familiar with Matthew, not just because of his book, but because he was one of the, the 12 apostles that was chosen we understand that tax collectors were not very liked by any means. Tax collectors are not very liked today either. But especially back then because they would uh, they were given a certain amount that they were to take from the people as taxes and then whatever else that they needed they were to ask for and that would be what they would get as their income. And so people knew the tax collectors were taking way too much. Matthew was one of them, but yet he was one of the called. And here he is sitting at the tax office, and Jesus comes to him and says, Follow me, and so he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. And sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners of all people? Why does Jesus eat with them? Verse 12 When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. How many of you like doctors? Not many of us like doctors very much. I try not to go unless I just really, really have to go. And here Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician. If you're not sick, then what need do you have of a doctor? But those who are sick, they are in need of a physician. And in verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come for the purpose of reaching those who are already saved. And I think we get the misconception in the church that, that our goal is to reach out to those in our pews with the gospel. To teach them better, to encourage them. That's our goal. And that's not the case at all. You see, our mission as the church goes beyond these walls and these doors goes into the world that we live in. We carry the gospel to the lost. That's what Jesus is talking about. That was his purpose. I've come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So when people wonder, well, why would Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? That was his mission. That was his purpose. And so as we look at Jesus, we see that his purpose was to reach out to those who were in need. He came to bring the lost to repentance. As we look at the primary mission of the apostles, it was to reach out to the lost sheep of Israel, as we read in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. They had a specific purpose, and it wasn't to, to go to the Gentiles just yet, but it was to go to the Jews, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Get them to repent and then the message would be carried out throughout the world and it was. But that was their primary mission. Later Jesus commanded them and us to reach out to all who were lost in the world. As we get into the book of Acts we see where the word does go to the Gentiles. The house of Cornelius and following and we see that the that the gospel was carried out to the whole world. And as we look at the mission of the apostles, we see that, that we are also given the same mission. A very familiar passage to us, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, tells of the call of the apostles, if you will. Matthew 28 and verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now we see the change in the mission. They're not just reaching out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel any longer. Now they're to go to all nations. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the disciples, the apostles, were to go to all nations. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That was their mission. We understand that in the passing of the apostles from this life, we no longer have the, the things that they were, were able to do, the, the, the wonders and things of that nature. We understand that God has His power and certainly He's able to do many things that, that we are incapable of. But in the absence of the apostles, we as Christians are receiving the call. The call that was once for them is now given to all Christians to carry out their mission to bring the lost to Christ. We are called to discipleship. All are called to discipleship through the invitation of Christ. In Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light notice that that Jesus doesn't say I will take your burden from you he doesn't say that there is no burden for Christians to bear that's not what he's saying at all But he says, my yoke is easy, implying that there is a yoke for us to wear. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Why is his burden light? Because he helps us to bear it. He doesn't leave us without any help at all, but he gives us help to bear the load. There is a yoke to bear. There is a burden as Christians. But Jesus lightens it. in giving His life in the way that He did on the cross. He lightens our load. Takes our sins from us. Cleanses us. Allows us to be seen as righteous before God. Certainly we are called to discipleship. He's calling you just as much as he calls me and just as much as he called the apostles and so forth. Let's look now at the calling to discipleship. and What is this calling? What, what, are we, what exactly are we called to do? From a personal standpoint as I look at, at maybe A job that I'm supposed to do. I want to know what is required of me. I want to know exactly what is desired. So that I can can perform that. And that's exactly what we get in scripture. God gives us his word. And God gives us exactly what he's calling us to. He lets us know from the very beginning what he wants us to do. It's up to us to see it. those desiring to follow Jesus, and I believe all of us do, or you wouldn't be here today. But those desiring to follow Jesus must begin in obedience to the gospel. We are being called to obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's what we're called to do, to obey the gospel of Christ. And it begins with exactly what you're doing right now. It begins with hearing the gospel. Hearing and believing. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and we'll begin reading at verse 14. Romans 10 and verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard or have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? how shall they hear without a preacher? The beginning of belief, the beginning of faith is hearing the gospel. We can't call on the name of the Lord unless we have believed. And we cannot believe unless we have heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Going back to the beginning of verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sick? That's our goal. It's not just the mission of the preacher, it's not just the mission of the person in the pulpit, but it's the mission of every Christian to carry the gospel into the world. Some of you came today because you were invited. To come here. By somebody. That's, that's what Christianity is all about. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says. Lord who has believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. This is speaking of the Jews. that. Not all the Jews obeyed. Not all the Jews believed in Jesus. As a matter of fact, we we talked a little bit in our lesson today. And we'll get into it more Wednesday night about how Jesus was rejected by his own people. And even the prophet Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? He had moments where where he doubted that he was reaching anybody. Faith. Faith. Comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Verse 18 But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, I have reached out to a people that would come to reject me. Has he even ceased? Certainly not. Still, he's reaching out to the Jews. There's still a small remnant that is left. We've talked about that a lot too. All day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Not all who hear obey. We find that very good example of Israel. Not all of Israel, even God's home chosen people not all of them remain faithful to him. The gospel message has gone out over all the earth. Faith begins by hearing the gospel and believing the report. That's the beginning of faith. We carry the gospel to the world. We have to understand that not all the world will obey. But it's still our mission to carry the gospel to all those who are in need. We also understand the importance and obedience as part of obedience, confession of faith. The eunuch was asked to confess his faith before obeying the gospel in baptism. Acts chapter 8 and verses 36 and 37. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe, with all your heart you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confessed his faith. He confessed what he believed to be fact, to be be the truth. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. One who does not believe or is unwilling to confess has no reason to be baptized. They have no reason to obey the gospel. Matter of fact, sometimes more harm than good can come from allowing someone to be baptized before they're ready. But we see that it's important that we be able to confess Christ. Well, we start by confessing Christ before believers, before the church. And I believe that it helps to prepare us to carry the gospel to those who don't believe. That's part of our mission as well. But it's definitely a part of obedience. Another part of obedience is repentance. We have to repent. The original message called Israel to repentance for their disobedience to God. Uh, Certainly as we look at Israel we see that, that many times over and over again they would be faithful for a little while sometimes due to a leader. Most of the time due to a leader that was faithful and they would follow in that leadership and then they would go back into to being away from God. God would call them back and then they'd go back into the living the way they wanted to and it was over and over again for a very, very long time. But as a nation, Israel never really changed and that was one of their, their greatest problems. Because Israel rejected Jesus, the message of repentance was given to all Jew and Gentile alike. Now this message of repentance comes to us. We are also called to repent. Romans 1 verses 16 and 17 it speaks of the gospel going to the Greek as well as the Jews. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes... For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel message is carried to all people. And so we are called to change. The just shall live by faith. Repentance requires change in the life of one desiring salvation. One not willing to change is also not ready for baptism. I've heard many stories of people that are baptized and they may be excited for a while. But they, they never really change their ways. And they go right back into the ways of the world because they haven't fully repented. See, repentance is not something that you do once and it's all over and done with. Repentance is something that continues throughout life. You see, I realize that I still make mistakes. I I realize that in some ways that my life has not changed as much as it should. And so in a sense, I still have to repent. I still have to have a penitent heart. Does that make me a sinner? No, it doesn't. We talked about that not too long ago too. It, It doesn't make me a sinner because I'm still trying to serve God to the best of my ability. But repentance is a change of heart, a change of life. And it's something that we continually have to work on. We're still in the stages of repentance even after obedience to the gospel, even after baptism. Change in an individual necessitates God's forgiveness as well as willingness of the individual to make his life right in the sight of God. So I have to look at it from both sides too. We have to have God's forgiveness. We ask those things in prayer. One of the best prayers of repentance that I can think of is found in Psalm 51. David the one that we consider to be a man after God's own heart, he, we understand that he, he made a, a grave error. He committed the sin of adultery. He committed the sin of murder. And both of those are big no-nos on, on our list. But even after doing that, David had a penitent heart. And in Psalm 51 beginning with verse 1 it says, have mercy upon me O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David desired to come back to God. He had made a a grave error in his life, but he realized the need for repentance. That's what we're called to do. But it doesn't end there because we're, we're told of more in Scripture that we need to do in order to answer the call to discipleship. So, so far, just to review, we've got hearing. We have to hear the gospel. We have to understand it. Even if you only hear it from here, you can still understand the Word of God, but you have to hear it. And you have to believe it. It's more than just hearing. You see, we also have to believe. And if we don't believe, then then we've done nothing, really, as far as obedience is concerned. We have to be able to confess that we believe. How can can we not confess before Christians and still confess to the world? We can't do it. So we've got to confess also. We have to confess Christ. And we have to change our lives. You see, we can't just believe. There's more to it than just believing. Even the demons believe. Even Satan believes in Jesus. So it's more than belief. We also have to change. In order to be disciples of Christ, we have to change our lives in a good way. You know, we're told in different places that we ought to be a peculiar people. When we look at that word peculiar, who wants to be peculiar? We want to fit in, right? That's not what it's about. We're different. Christians are different than the world. That's what makes us Christians, that's what God desires so we have to change our lives we can't live the way that we've been living we have to make a change and it's something that continues to our lives because we have lapses now and then and we go back to doing the things that we used to do but we realize that's not who we are anymore we realize that we need to change so we repent but, but God's word also says that we have to be baptized in order to obtain salvation this is one that's tricky Not really tricky in a sense as that God's Word says it, but tricky in a sense as man has made it tricky. But it's very plain. I read it very plainly in Scripture, and I think you do too. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 37. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, the people on the day of Pentecost, when they heard Peter preach the first gospel sermon, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered very plainly what they needed to do to become disciples, to become Christians. Then Peter said to them in verse 38, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin." And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now There are people that say, well, you know, baptism is an outward sign of of an inward change in in your life, in your heart. But but what I'm reading here says that that it's necessary. Look at it again. And, And make sure you keep it in the order that it's given. Repent. We must repent before we can be saved. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You see, repentance and baptism come before we can receive remission of sins. That's what it says. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse, verses 20 and 21. Speaking of the days of Noah, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water, there's also an antitype, or a like figure. I like that word better from the King James. But there's a like figure, which now saves us. Baptism. Well, well, look at Noah. Noah wasn't saved by the water, was he? Or was he? Noah was saved by water. What was he saved from? He was saved from a generation of people who had forgotten God. And who had done whatever they wanted to do. And, and now God was, was even sorry that he made man. They were saved by the water, through water. In which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water, there is a light figure which now saves us. Baptism. Baptism saves us. Not baptism alone. We have to do all the other things too, but baptism saves us also. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience where God even tells us exactly what it is. It's not a cleansing of the physical body. If I go in with grease all over my hands, I remember my dad, he's, he's, one, he's been a mechanic ever since I can remember. And he's got grease embedded in his hands. You can see it even when he washes his hands. They're not as clean as mine. That's not what baptism is about. It's not the, the cleansing of the physical body, but it's the answer to a call. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God, uh, understanding what God wants us to do. The answer of a good conscience is to obey, and part of that is baptism. That's made trivial by the world, but it's not trivial when it comes to God's Word. And then we're done, right? We've done everything that we need to do to answer the call of discipleship. Wrong. Something else that we have to do. See, it's more than than just hearing and believing and confessing and repenting, changing our lives and baptism for the remission of sins. It's more than than those things. There's something else that we have to do to answer the call of discipleship. And this is another one of those things that continues all through our lives. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, it says... I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable servant. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, we think of sacrifices we go back to the Old Testament. We understand the Old Testament sacrifices of animals and, and that was to, to in some way atone for, for the sins of the people. And we understand that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice by giving His life on the cross for us and now He's asking me to offer my life, my body as a living I continue to live in the world and yet I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice. In the same way that we think of repentance and putting away all the things of the world, now I have to, to, to sacrifice myself. Does that mean that I sacrifice some of the things that I enjoy? Yes. You know, I have friends that you know, they would be mad at me if I were to accept Christ. Am I to sacrifice them too? Yes. Well, what about my family members? My, my parents, you know, they, they weren't Christians either, but did Jesus not tell his apostles to love me more than father and mother? Matthew chapter 10. For to love God above all. And so, yes, it means making sacrifices. But, but it also says here that this is my reasonable service. How is that to be? Think about it. Jesus gave his life for you. He sacrificed himself for your life, for your eternity, for your salvation. Does it not make at least a little bit of sense that we are to sacrifice ourselves for him? that we are to offer our lives, the way that we live, the, the people that we are around, we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to Him. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 25 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that we are to put on as Christians. There are certain things that we take off, but there are also certain things that we need to put on as Christians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I think we all desire those things, right? Long-suffering or patience. Patience with one another, patience with ourselves, patience with God. It means there's suffering, but, but we suffer long in those things. Kindness goodness. The world needs more of those. Faithfulness. Gentleness or meekness and self-control. Against such there is no law and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Faithfulness is one of those things that we are to put on just for those of us that are married just as you are to be faithful to your spouse we we understand what that means not cheating on them not, not turning to another but we remain faithful throughout our lifetime to that person that we committed our lives to in the same way we commit our lives to God as we become Christian as we are obedient to the plan of salvation and as we continue and faithfulness to Him. All the things that we are to do, faithfulness is probably the hardest. We we are pulled in many different directions many times and maybe sometimes we're torn even between obeying God's Word and thinking with our friends or family members, those that we care about. And sometimes there are sacrifices that are involved in, in all of those things. But we're called to faithfulness. So what is the call? We're called by God through His Son, through the way that He came to this earth. We're called through Him to carry on the same purpose that he had whenever he was here on earth, at least to some degree. His purpose was to, to reach out to the Jews while he was here on earth, but, but later to everybody with the gospel. And, and we are to carry out that mission. We are to be obedient. We are to remain faithful. And if you've not done those things today, then what better time would there be to do them? What better time would there be to answer the call? Make this the day that you answer the call salvation or to repentance, whatever the call is for you. We always offer the invitation because we want to make ourselves available to anyone who's in need. And we make ourselves available to you. If there's something that we can do to help you, if you need to come in obedience or if you need to rededicate your life to Him, if you need to ask for prayer, if you need to ask for forgiveness for something that you've done, if there's something that you need to do, don't put it off. Take care of that need today while together we stand and as we